Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning and welcome to Resurrection Sunday and our Easter sermon today. As you know, the traditional greeting around the world, He is risen. He is risen indeed. We want to celebrate that today. And uh, I can't believe Easter is such a marker for me. When I think about 2020 and all that has happened and all the different hardship regarding COVID and even just the change of how I'm now guest preaching to you instead of being your pastor, and uh, really, Easter's kind of, I can't believe, a year uh, has gone by, more, a little bit more than a year. And yet the Lord has been good, hasn't he? He has sustained us, even in the difficulty and even in the transition and changes. And I want you to know that I continue to pray for you regularly. And uh, I love you dearly. And I'm just thrilled that I get to serve by preaching God's word to you here this morning. If you're here today and you're a guest, uh, perhaps we haven't met. And I can't wait for, for one day where we could put, potentially do that. Uh, but I want you to know that uh, I'm so glad that you're part of this church family. And uh, today, uh, as we dig into God's word together, I want you to know you're just as loved as those uh, who I know personally as well. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 20. Uh, this is one of the premier messages about the resurrection. Uh, this is, uh, if you're going to preach anything on Easter, uh, it should probably be uh, this passage or one very much like it. And I want to turn your attention. Um, we're going to look at the first 18 verses together here this morning. But would you just put your eyes on verse 18 for just a moment? I want to show you the end and then explain the end to you. In verse 18, it says, uh, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Today, what I want to ask and explore what changes for me when I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. When I can say like Mary, I have seen the Lord. You're possibly here today because you've been invited and you are exploring this Christianity thing and uh, you might not yet believe that Jesus is the risen Lord uh, of the Bible or any belief system that you have had beforehand. And so you're here and, and it's okay to say, I don't really believe that yet. And, uh, and I'm seeking to find out what this actually would mean if I would actually believe these things. And, and in that, I, I really want you to see today that when you believe the resurrection, there's going to be some longings that are fulfilled and there's going to be some loss that is restored and there's going to be a, a love that's redefined. And, uh, and if you would just give a hearing to what the Bible says about the resurrection of Jesus, which is the reason for Easter, the reason for calling it Resurrection Sunday, I believe uh, that you will be blessed and that it will help you immensely in how you live life. Uh, just give me a minute as I explain that and I believe you'll begin to see it. I also imagine there's another version of audience member today, and that's somebody who already believes in the things of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm a Christian. Uh, at some point, there was a conversion experience, and I now believe in Jesus. But it's possible to believe in Jesus and yet somehow have, have let your heart get a little bit cold, maybe a little bit stale to the amazing relationship there is with Jesus. And it's 
possible to approach Easter Sunday even and kind of be a little bit apathetic and be saying, does this really matter? Actually, it seems like that's something that's really common in the world today, that, that there can be truth that is explored out there, but does it really matter seems like it's the more important question or the one that we ask more often. And so I want to help us help you today as well from this particular passage. And, and, and so let's look together at it. The title of the message is, it's a question, have you seen Jesus? It really does change everything. And I want to show that to you today. Everything changes when I believe the resurrection. That's the main idea. Everything changes when I believe the resurrection. You might be thinking, I don't want everything to change. And that's okay. When I say the word everything, I mean all the right things, all the good things, all the things that you want to be changed, changes when you believe the resurrection. That's what I mean by the word everything. And we're going to really drill down on a couple of those things even here today. And so... As this church, Harvest KL, has been looking at this year and asking the Lord, um, really a, a theme verse, rise, let us go from here, from John 14, 31. The theme is rise, and on Resurrection Sunday, everything changes when we understand what it is to believe that Jesus has indeed risen. And so the text here this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8, but as we get 1 to 18, excuse me, but as we get into it, I, I want to show you a short five-minute video, a testimony of a young man named Ism. And as we watch this particular video, I want you to be answering some questions in your head. Or maybe if you have a piece of paper, you can jot it down. What is Ism longing for? And what does Ism lose and what version of love did Ism first experience at the beginning? And then, and then how was it different at the end? How were his longings fulfilled? How was loss restored? How was love redefined for him? Let's watch this together here this morning and see how Ism was changed by the love of a family and how that's an illustration for what that's going to be for us as we look at this text even here today. Let's watch this together now. I moved to the United States when I was 12 with um, my mother and we lived with my uncle. My father um, did not want to join us because he uh, did not want to lose his political position the living situation um, that we had was uh, deplorable. My aunt was emotionally abusive. There would um, be days that I wouldn't come out of my room for almost a week because I was afraid that if I came out, she would remind me of how worthless I really was. My mother didn't really know what to do. She was afraid that um, if she came to my defense that we would get kicked out of that home. So I turned to drugs and I turned to alcohol. He was very interesting. He had this, this big smile on his face and this uh, uh, very British accent. But I faintly remember when he left that there was just a sadness that was about him. Something was so different about them. They just seemed so genuine. I felt like they really, really cared about who I was. Um, I met Phoebe, and I found a woman that truly, truly loved her son, but it was at that time that some of the 
problems that were a part of ISM's life started to come out. I was overjoyed. <laughs> I was like, wow, um, this is a real family that I can be a part of. But they had one condition. I put a $20 bill on the wall of his room and I says, if you ever are caught smoking pot, um, you're gonna get $20 and that's it. You cannot live here if you're gonna be using drugs. When I moved in with the Chauvins, I got my very first Bible and they wrote in it, Dear God, thank you for bringing ism into our life. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118, 23. And they signed Mr. Ken Chauvin and Mrs. Mary Ann Chauvin. I was so upset. Brought along the $20 and met him at his car with a pillow and a blanket and his toothbrush. And I said, um, you can't come home. That's it. I was homeless for a couple of months. I was living in my car. I kind of just stopped talking to them and they kept pursuing me. They kept calling me and I wouldn't pick up. Kept leaving me um, messages on um, my windshield like little care packages, and I just didn't respond. For the next week and weeks, I walked around um, depressed and feeling betrayed and angry, really ashamed and embarrassed. It was probably the hardest thing that has ever happened to me because I felt love for the first time, and then I thought I lost it forever. Um, there was a huge gap in my heart that couldn't be filled. One day, I um, stumbled upon this Bible. I was like, okay, well, let's read it. It's the only thing that I, it's the only religion I haven't really explored. I turned to the book of Ephesians, and I started reading. After I was done, my heart began to melt. And all of a sudden, I felt extremely sober. I felt a sensation that I've never felt before. Something happened and I just fell down on my knees and I started weeping. I cried out to God and I asked him to forgive me and, he's, and he responded and he said, the purpose of your life is to bring glory to me. I was like, <sighs> he responded. <laughs> and the next day I just felt, I felt brand new. I, I had I'd never experienced that feeling before. Like I felt so energized and just wanting to do the right thing and wanting to please God. Bible verses started appearing on his Facebook page and it would say day four with the Bible verse and day five with the Bible verse, day six, day seven, day eight. People who knew the oldism, they're like, what's going on with him? Like, that's so weird. Why is he like such a Jesus freak? Now what happened to him? In August of 2009, he uh, moved back in and um, um, just has grown in the Lord since then. A couple of years later, I was adopted. I became Ism Alex Chauvin. When I saw that paper of adoption, I knew it was final. 
this, this is it, this is my family. I, I'm accepted, I have full rights, uh, I have um, the same privileges that my siblings do. I am a Chauvin. I don't feel rejected anymore. I feel accepted. Mrs. Chauvin, she was the first person to ever hear my story and to really accept me for who I was. Mom, thank you for adopting me as your own son. I love you so much. So there you go. There's an amazing story of transformation in Ism's life because of love that was demonstrated to him and shown to him. And really what we saw in this particular video is, is how longings that he had were, were, were fulfilled and how, how the loss that he experienced uh, was redefined and, and the love was redefined in his life. And, and really it's a, it's a wonderful illustration about the power when you understand what it means to belong in the family that God has placed you in, the family of God in that way. We want to explore that here this morning. And so in that, I just want to ask you, have you seen Jesus? Like Mary, can you say, I have seen the Lord? And really what that's indicating is uh, that you believe in the resurrection. Because as we're going to see, Mary, for a time there, didn't believe the resurrection. But once she understood the resurrection, it dramatically changed who she was, her security and her significance. And so we're going to see here today how believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes your perspective and redefines your priorities. You see, you're going to see a secure love and, and a significant life. And this is two basic things that every one of us need. We need to feel secure in love. And we need to find significance in our life. I want to make a difference. And I want to do that within the context of, of relationship in love. And so this text helps us understand how the resurrection actually helps us meet those particular needs. And so I want to look at the text here this morning. Have, get your Bibles in front of you. Let's start at verse 1. We're going to go 1 to 18 here. And I'm just going to just comment on the first 10 verses and then take a pause, kind of do some explanation. And then we'll look at verses 11 to 18. And then I'll, I'll really try to unpack where, what I believe the message for our hearts from God is here today. So let's look at this. Verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So we understand that when Jesus was killed, he was killed on Friday and, and that was the beginning of Passover feast. And the Jew, Jewish customs and law said that you couldn't have a funeral in the midst of a holy day. And so they had to quickly take him down from the cross once they saw that he was dead. And Joseph of Arimathea put him into a tomb that was carved in the garden there. And then what we find is that in Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66, the Jewish leaders were afraid that somebody would come and take the body and pretend like Jesus had actually risen. They were afraid of that because they knew he had said that, but they didn't believe he could actually rise from the dead. I mean, who can do that, right? And so they had actually made sure uh, that there was a stone that was in front of the tomb entrance sealed, probably with some sort of tar. And then there was a guard posted so that nobody come and rob the grave. 
That was done on the Saturday of the week. And now we see the first day of the week. Now it's Sunday, the third day that he had been into the tomb. Uh, we see that Mary Magdalene shows up and the tomb stone has been rolled out of place. And now the tomb is wide open. She shows so shocked by that, it says in verse 2, that she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who, by the way, is the author of this book. And so he doesn't write his name. He just kind of alludes to that. And she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. She's in great distress. And so we see here that she, she says, somebody's taken the body. And what does that indicate about her belief about Jesus's resurrection at this point? Well, it shows that she did not believe in a resurrection yet. She thought somebody had come and taken the dead body of Jesus and, and stolen it out of the tomb. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John says, I got there first, right? And so it goes on, verse 5, And stooping to look in, John saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So he kneels down to look into the tomb, and he sees where they had laid the body of Jesus, and he doesn't see a body there. All he says that he sees, his eyewitness account, is that there is cloth lying there. And I believe he's so stunned by that, he can't move. He's looking in trying to figure out what's going on. In verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, as Peter normally does, does, right? He just runs headlong into things. And he runs into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth laying there, verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. This is interesting. Peter arrives, he goes into the tomb, he sees that there's a, the, the cloth, cloth that Jesus had been wrapped in laying there, but the face cloth is somewhere different. And really, you have to understand a, a previous story when Jesus uh, resurrected Lazarus from the dead, and he called into the tomb, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus somehow came out, but he was, he was wrapped in the, 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 the cloth that they would put around a body at this time. He was so wrapped in that he couldn't release himself. He was, that mummified looked, right? They had cloth wrapped around him. Listen, somebody who raises, raised from the dead could not get out of that cloth. But, but Jesus, it says here, he had done it differently. You see, when Lazarus was raised, he was raised to his normal earthly body. But we understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are going to receive glorified bodies according to 1 Corinthians 15. Bodies that are apparently are able to pass through the cloth and Jesus apparently had been able to do, to do that and then had, had neatly wrapped the, the cloth around his face and, and put it separate there. We, what we're seeing here is eyewitness accounts and details uh, of what they're being said there. Going on. In verse 8, we see, Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What this verses are saying is that John comes in, he's the first one to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And it finally begins to click in his head. Oh, Jesus told us from the scriptures that he was going to go into the tomb, be there for three days, and then rise again. We didn't even understand what he was saying, but whoa, now I get it. Jesus has risen. 
John finally believes. Then in verse 10, the disciples went back into their homes, it says. Peter and John go home. In this passage, what we see are a number of evidences of Jesus' resurrection. So a lot of times people are like, I don't believe that. I don't believe that Jesus, I believe Jesus died, but I don't believe he actually was raised from the dead. Actually, there's all sorts of theories that are made up that Jesus just swooned for a moment or they hallucinated about what was actually going on or they stole the body and all of those things are proven false by the evidence that we see here. Evidence number one, we see an empty tomb. There's no body there. There's no body of Jesus in the tomb at this particular time. So something must have been happening. That might not be all the evidence you need, but something clearly happened. The eyewitness account is that there is no actual body present. Secondly, we see in a moment, I haven't read it yet, but we're going to see the angel's appearance. And what we're going to see is the concern of heaven for the resurrection of Jesus, that there was going to be the supernatural heavenly thing that was going to go on there. And the angels are there affirming that by, by the by the two or three witnesses, the two witnesses that are there that are going to tell us uh, that Jesus is no longer there. And then finally, we see an evidence of resurrection in eyewitness accounts. And what we have here is John writing an eyewitness account of what happened there. And then what we're going to see in just a moment is the eyewitness account of Mary in all of this as well. In this, I want you to understand uh, the importance of the resurrection. Because if there is no resurrection... Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, listen, if there is no resurrection, then we are to be most pitied because we are believing something false. But if the resurrection is true, then everything that we believe about Christianity actually rests upon whether or not the resurrection actually happened or not. And that's why the evidence is so important. Without the resurrection, there's no Christianity, there's no salvation, there's no forgiveness, and there's no heaven. That would be a terrible world to live in. But when there is resurrection, it demonstrates that our sin has been paid for. It's been atoned for. Death has been conquered. Eternal life is available for those who believe in him. That's why in Romans chapter 10, it says, If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that, that you understand that he has been raised from the dead in this way, and, and that you trust in that, then there is salvation. Then there is a restored relationship with God. Then that is the moment where you believe in Jesus. With that, we talked about the evidences of resurrection and how important the eyewitnesses' accounts are as we're reading right here. Jesus made at least 10 appearances after, after the resurrection. And in the 40 days that he lived, he appeared not just to 10 individuals, 10 appearances at least, likely more as well, 10 recorded in the Bible, to hundreds and hundreds and likely thousands of people that would have seen him. But there's only one eyewitness that actually uh, the story continues with, and that is with the eyewitness account of Mary Magdalene. We see her introduced in verse 1 here, but we're going to get the story picked up in verse 11, uh, where we're, we're going to see more about Mary, just a little bit of background about this particular figure. This Mary was a disciple of Jesus, who in Luke chapter 8, we see, was freed by Jesus from being possessed by seven demons. 
Now, many times people talk about her being also a harlot or a prostitute, but that's actually not verified by scripture, perhaps, but we, we don't really know that. All we know is that she was, she was demonically possessed, but Jesus freed her from that. And from that day forward, she followed after Jesus. And what we see is she is the very first one in this account to really see the risen Jesus. So let's pick up the story in verse 11. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So we see Mary crying and weeping, and, and, and not just some soft cry, but, but likely, likely that, that snot-inducing, blurry-eyed, puffy, can't-see-because-of-how-much-you're-crying. Have you ever wept like this before? Through blurred eyes, Mary, Mary looks into the tomb and, and she's longing for Jesus. Write that down. Mary here is longing for Jesus. We see her weeping because she believes that Jesus is not there and wanting Jesus to be there. She doesn't yet believe in the resurrected Jesus here at this moment. And so two angels, verse 12 says, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one of the head and one at the feet. Jesus would have been laid on a, on a slab of some sort and the two angels were sitting at the head and at the foot of where that would have been. And this is an important illusion. This is something that if you know the Old Testament scriptures, you would understand that there was a place called the mercy seat where there were two angels on either end of it and in the tabernacle at first in the tent and then ultimately in the temple that was built, there was this mercy seat described in Exodus 25, if you want to look it up, where God would meet his people in the Holy of Holies and speak with them. And he's done that in the past at the mercy seat in the tent and then at the physical building of the temple. And now he's doing it at the tomb. It's this allusion to the idea that God has a, has, wants to meet with his people and speak to them as this symbol of the two angels on either end of, of this place where God wants to meet them at the place of his resurrection. Going on, verse 13, they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The angels ask Mary why she's weeping. And write this down. Mary reveals loss. The loss of Jesus. She says, I don't know where he is. And it's created this grief within here. She's blinded by tears as she's looked in. She's talking to the angels and she says, I, I don't know where he is. Because notice, she doesn't believe in the resurrection. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So she turns around and she looks and she sees a figure standing there, but her eyes are all blurry and she's emotionally so distressed because of the loss that she can't make out the details, the clarity to see that it is actually Jesus. The text tells us she doesn't know. She doesn't know at this moment. She doesn't recognize him. Jesus is there, but she can't see him. Does that characterize your relationship with Jesus? It, do you know there, there, there's a God and, and, and he wants to meet with me and he wants to do it through the risen Jesus, but, but I just can't see through my, my loss and I can't see through my longing and I can't see through my not believing that there's a resurrected Jesus. 
verse 15, Jesus says to her, Woman, why, do you, why are you weeping? Same question that the angels asked her. And then she, he expands and says, Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary thinks that it's the gardener who's speaking to her, and she says, uh, tell me where I can take care of him. The, the loss that she has experienced is being revealed in the grief that she has. It's, it's how we all handle grief when we lose a loved one. We want to care for the physical vessel that the, the soul of the person was within. We want to care for the physical vessel as a last act of love. And she's trying to do that here. If you've taken him somewhere, give him to me. I'll take him away. I will care for him as a last act of love because I don't believe he's risen. I still believe there's a dead body somewhere of Jesus. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And it's here at this moment that she recognizes the risen Jesus. She believes. And it took what Jesus said in John 10, 27 and 28, the sheep hear my voice and knew, know who I am and they respond to me. And it wasn't until that moment, until that blurry figure that she thought was the gardener said her name, Mary, that she believed in the resurrected Jesus. What happens, I'm interested to know and to explore with you today, what happens when Mary sees and believes in the risen Jesus. Well, notice seeing and believing in the risen Jesus requires a reorientation of my life. It's fascinating that in the tenderness of this moment when Jesus has said the, her name, Mary, and she responds and recognizes the risen Jesus, that he immediately begins to reorient her understanding of how to live life under a resurrected Jesus. Notice in verse 17, Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I think this is such an important verse to wrap our minds around, and I want us to see it clearly here today. So let me just unpack the four parts of what Jesus speaks to Mary in reorienting her life to the resurrected Jesus. First, he says, do not cling to me, which seems almost a little bit harsh because there's this tender moment where he's just said her name and she recognizes him and it's like she wraps her arms around her around his feet and remember she was stooping down and she's holding on desperately to Jesus and he says don't cling to me and what he's really saying is I'm going to be with you always there's security in this you don't have to worry that I'm going to leave again. I'm not going to die again. Mary, you have to understand you're secure. Our relationship is secure. He says, "For don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He says, listen, this relationship is secure, but 
I have to complete a purpose and, and, and he's alluding to the fact that he is going to go away. But you're secure, Mary. I'm going to leave the helper, the Holy Spirit, until I return. That's what we hope for and long for even right now. But, but listen, you don't have to cling to Jesus, afraid that he's going to go away. He's always with us. He's promised it. So number three, number two, I've not yet ascended. Three, but do go to my brothers. Circle the word brothers in that verse. Highlight it on your iPad or whatever you're looking at. Because this is the first time Jesus calls anybody who is a follower of him a brother. He's never called anybody a brother or a sister before. He's never spoken in this familial relationship, this relationship of family up until this point because it required his death to pay for the sins and that finishes everything and then his resurrection to overcome all of that. And that's when entrance into God's family happens. This is the first time anybody is called brother. And now, listen, we're a family of God. We're a family of families in our church. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And all throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see the term for church members as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the family moment begins at this time. And then he says, and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Why did he say it twice? It's because he's emphasizing. Say to them, I'm ascending to my father who is now your father too because you're a brother and a sister. And to my God and your God because you now have a relationship with God. The same relationship that I have with the father, you now have it. I mean, this is a mind-blowing implication of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This changes everything. More about that in just a moment, but notice in verse 18, just to finish the passage here, it says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Mary announces what had happened. She goes and she tells people, I have seen the Lord. So think about this for a moment. What changed for Mary because she sees the Lord? What changes for Mary because she believes in the resurrected Jesus Christ? Notice throughout the story, she hasn't believed, she hasn't believed, she hasn't believed, she hasn't believed. And then he says, Mary, and she believes. And her eyes clear up and she knows who Jesus is. Well, I believe three things change for everyone when they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me review them for you. Let me show them to you. Listen, if you've never believed Jesus, consider if you want these things to be true of you. And if you have believed in Jesus, measure and evaluate, do I believe these things to be true or have I slipped in that in some way? Listen, not that Jesus is inadequate, but perhaps you have moved away from Jesus and we want to bring you back to that. And so number one, when I see the risen Jesus, my deepest longings are fulfilled. Remember how we noted that in verse 11, we see Mary weeping at the tomb, longing for Jesus. Mary was longing for Jesus. And I would suggest to you that she wasn't just longing for the person, the human part of Jesus, the relationship that she had with him, which was very clearly dear to her. But she she was longing for the person she was created to love and to magnify and glorify. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we have an important verse to understand. It says that God 
has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What this verse is actually telling us is that that God has created every single human being with a soul. And and within that soul is this longing for for a relationship with God. But God has created our souls to to long for that relationship and yet not be able to find it unless we are seeking him on his terms and in his ways. You see, we can blind our own minds. We can, we can come up with other things. We can think of lofty opinions raised against God, as we spoke about before. But when you finally come to the place where you see the resurrected Jesus, you understand God's placed a desire for me to have that longing for him within me. And now it's being fulfilled because I see Jesus as risen. You are created with a God-shaped hole so that you will seek after him. So a story of a testimony of a man who found God, his name is Randy Alcorn. He says this, from childhood, I loved astronomy. I grew up in an unbelieving home. Night after night, I'd gaze at the stars, clueless about a creator, but yearning for something greater than myself. One night, as I stared through my telescope at the galaxy of Andromeda with its trillion stars, 2.5 million light years away, I was filled with awe. I longed to explore its wonders and lose myself in its vastness. I read fantasy and science fiction stories of other worlds, of great battles and causes. I knew that the universe was huge beyond comparison, but my wonder was trumped by a sometimes unbearable sense of loneliness and separation. That's his God-shaped hole. In retrospect, I think I wanted to worship, but I didn't know what or who to worship. I wept not only because I felt so insignificant, but also because I felt so disconnected from the significant one I did not know of or know of. Several years later, at age 15, after attending a church youth group, I opened the Bible and saw these words for the first time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then I read verse 14, the greatest understatement ever. He made the stars also. A universe 100 billion light years across containing countless stars and the Bible makes them sound like a casual add-on. I quickly realized that this book was about the person who made the universe, including Andromeda and Earth and me. I had no reference points when I read the Bible. All of it was new, intriguing, sometimes confusing and disorienting. But when I reached the gospel, something changed. I was immediately fascinated by Jesus. I'd been an avid reader of fiction, but I knew this wasn't fiction. I knew Jesus wasn't just a character in the story. I soon came to believe he not only lived 2,000 years ago, but that he still lived. Everything about Jesus of Nazareth struck me as completely believable, and somehow I knew he was the one my heart had always longed for. By a miracle of grace, Jesus touched me deeply, gave me a new heart, and utterly transformed my life. 49 years later, he's still unveiling himself and changing me into his image and likeness. I couldn't be happier that he, he's every bit as real to me now as the moment that I met him. But now I know him better and therefore worship him more deeply. For me, Jesus didn't just change everything back then. He's still changing everything today. Let me ask you, do you recognize your God-shaped longings? 
And will you do the work to pursue those longings and pursue seeking to find them, to find the fulfillment of them? Uh, I'll just tell you right now, the answer is going to be found in the resurrected Jesus like this man. If you would just begin to read the scriptures and you'll get to the gospels and you'll see simply Jesus as you read Mark and Matthew and Luke and John. When you see the risen Jesus, as you even, as I even tell about him to you right now, would you commit yourself to fill your God-shaped longing with the scriptures that tell you about who he is? Second thing, when you see the risen Jesus, just like Mary did, what you'll see what was lost restored. Notice, Mary was looking for what she lost. They, they lost the body of Jesus. And she's grieving because she wants to demonstrate her love and care for the body of Jesus at that moment. But Jesus wasn't there. Why? Because God specializes in bringing dead things to life. And that's what he did with Jesus. And so we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we see Paul writing about his hardships and his sufferings. And, and he talks about the resurrection. Notice, for, what, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Notice, don't rely on yourself in difficult moments when you feel like you've lost everything. The reason that God is allowing you to go through that is so that you don't rely on yourself, but you rely on the God who raises the dead. Not only that, but I was reminded that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, it says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What that's saying is death does not, is not the end for us. Because Jesus rose, he has the ability to raise us from the dead as well. And he will, and he will. Everyone will be raised either into a relationship with God or into eternity separated from God in hell. And then finally, great news, a little picture into the, into the end once we're raised from the dead. In Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Listen, folks, we are waiting for the day, longing for the day. Looking for the day when all that is lost, even in the moment of death, will be restored by God. That is the promise. And yet in that, we, we know what it is to long. Listen, even if you haven't yet believed these things, you know what it is to long to be restored from death. Even nature shows us that. In 2018, there was a story that captured the international attention about a little orca whale named Taliqua, J35 was the number given to it. Taliqua uh, had carried a calf uh, in her womb for 17 months. That's the gestation period. And, and when it was time for the little baby to be born, it was born and it only lived for about a minute before it died. Something was wrong with it. They don't know exactly why. But this mother orca, so wanting what was lost to be restored, carried her little baby for the next 17 days and over hundreds of kilometers in the ocean. She wouldn't let her baby sink. She continued to try to keep the baby up 
and alive because listen, we, we don't want to lose. We don't want to lose to death. It's heartbreaking when it happens, even among nature, even among animals. And yet, that was in 2018, in September of 2020, international news made again, that same mother had a baby calf who survived in September of 2020. There was a new calf, new life. It was restored. We get excited about that. Because when we see new life given through the resurrected Jesus, when we understand the new life that we have, that should cause us to worship. What losses do you desire to be restored? It might even be a, a death of somebody, but even beyond that, what losses in your life? What, what are things that have, have come to an end? Things that have, have ex, you've experienced a death in? And understand that, that the longing for that to be restored is really pointing to a longing that is deep within you to understand the resurrected Jesus as well. What loss do you desire to be restored? That if you were to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you would realize he specializes in bringing dead things to life. The last thing we, I want you to see is that when I see the risen Jesus, love is redefined. I mean, isn't that the story of the video of ism that we saw earlier at the beginning of the message? Ism experienced a redefined love. He, he was longing for home and he was longing for, for someone to love him. He recognized a home that was so different from the heartache that he was experiencing, the loss of his father and his mother, uh, the loss of, uh, of those things. And, and he wanted a love that was different than the emotional abuse that he had and the feelings of worthlessness that he felt. But we see here that, that when he was adopted into the family, when he was called a brother, that how that transformed, how it redefined all of his life in that way. And he says this, that the defining mark is that I am accepted and I have full rights and the same privileges as everybody in the family. I'm not rejected, but I'm accepted into the family. So when Jesus says to Mary, and he redefines love for her. He says, there's security. Don't, you don't have to hold on to me. I'm not going anywhere. And now you are a part of my family, brothers and sisters. Do you see how Jesus is redefining love in that resurrection moment? Being in God's family changes everything. Uh, let me just highlight two things that I think this text is talking about and that we should understand as well. When Jesus says, first of all, do not cling to me. He's saying, I'm a brother. I'm a brother of Jesus. There, there's security here. You don't have to hold on to me because I'm, I have this new family relationship with you. You are now a child of the father, just like I am the father's son. So stop clinging to me because you're secure. I'm always going to be with you. And so the longing that you have, the lostness that you felt, the love that you feel has been insufficient, has been radically changed by the fact that you are in God's family. You can stop clinging to the things that you desire because you are secure in my love. And then the second thing he says, but go to my brothers and say, notice he tells Mary, you're now going to be a messenger. You are an eyewitness to these things, and I want you to speak up and tell people, tell the brothers, tell everyone, tell them about me. Tell them about your experience with me. 
So start going out because you have a significant purpose to play. It's fascinating to me that Jesus didn't keep reappearing to everybody since the time of his resurrection. It's not like Jesus' appearances are popping up all over the place. Uh, what did happen is that over the course of 40 days, he, he appeared to many people, many disciples, and then he entrusted them and every generation after them to preach the gospel of death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit brings people by conviction into the kingdom of God. You understand that Jesus redefined two things for Mary that are redefined for us as well. He says, listen, everything's different because you are secure in my love and because you have a significant task to be involved in. Everything changes when you believe in the resurrection. And this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, this Easter 2021, it can all change for you. You can find security in the love of the family that Jesus is your brother and that you have a heavenly father. If you would but put your trust in Jesus Christ today, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, you can have this new family relationship today and it will change your deepest longings and, and what you've lost and how you even define love. Listen, if you've already done that, it for sure changes then how, what your purposes and priorities are. It's no longer like I can just come to church by myself and bring my family. I realize I got to tell everybody, I've seen the Lord and it's changed everything. Listen, you don't need some massive course or, or biblical degree from some college or something to be able to do that. Every single believer can say, I've seen the Lord. And then just tell people what you've seen. Bring people to Jesus in these things. That's the call of the resurrected life. Everything changes when I believe in the resurrection. We get to see the amazing gift of grace that God has given to us and experience it for our own. And then, listen, we're messengers to tell everybody about it. Who are you telling? Who are you bringing to church next week? Who are you showing the significance of a love secured in the family relationship with God because he has risen and brought you to a spot where he says, my father is your father. My God's your God. We have this new restored relationship. Everything is different. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you and celebrate today the risen Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we thank you that we can see from God's word how that changes so much. Lord, it changes or it fulfills our deepest longing. It restores things that have been lost in this life. It redefines what love is for us. Lord, we desire to understand that more clearly by your spirit. Would you just pierce our hearts deeply with these truths? Lord, for those who are considering Jesus Christ, would you uh, help them understand the evidence of scripture and the evidence that shows this event that has happened and then show them the significance of what it means to believe in it. Lord, would you bring people to saving knowledge of you today? And then Lord, also, would you help those of us who believed to understand our love, the, the, the security of the love that you've given and the significance of what purpose you've given to us to be able to say, I've seen the Lord. Lord, would you help each of us to be messengers and eyewitnesses to what you have done and making us a brother of Jesus, a child of the Father. Lord, that's such an amazing gift of grace that you've given to us. Would you motivate us to live changed because you 
are the risen Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.